Michael Swickert here. Welcome to Enchanting Stories of New Mexico. We're sponsored by the Fresh Chili Company in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Our award-winning hatch green and red chili. Boy, is it good. I really mean it. Do I eat it every day? Yes, I do. It's from locally owned farms in Hatch, New Mexico, the chili capital of the world. Now, at this time, 51 years ago, in 1972, New Mexico Governor, then New Mexico Governor Bruce King, along with Lieutenant Governor Roberto Mondragon and most of the New Mexico legislators, and along with mayors and town councils all over New Mexico, they looked up into the nighttime sky. They were looking at the moon. <clears throat> now, it's it true from time to time, most of us look up and say, hey, there's the moon. Well, you might ask why 51 years ago, December of 1972, did so many New Mexicans look up at the moon? They were not the only ones. People all over the world looked up at the moon, <clears throat> but especially people from New Mexico because someone born and raised in New Mexico spent 75 hours on the surface of the moon, more than three days. While he later became a U.S. senator, that was just small potatoes compared to being on the moon for more than three days. I'm obviously talking about Harrison Jack Smith. We call him Jack Smith, the lunar module pilot for the final Apollo mission to the moon, Apollo 17. <clears throat> Originally, there were supposed to be 20 Apollo missions, but the budget concerns shaved it to just Apollo 18 would be the last. That was the ride that Jack Smith was going to have. Then Apollo 18 was canceled. The community of scientists insisted that Jack Smith was important to have on the moon. Since he wasn't a test pilot, he was trained in geology. His Ph.D. from Harvard was in geology, and no one with geology training had ever been on the moon. It was an incredible mission, and this Wednesday, two days from now, I'll do the Enchanting People podcast. I'll do it entirely on Apollo 17. Now, one little somewhat unknown fact, the launch of Apollo 17 was delayed. It could have gone earlier, but it was delayed to December of 1972 for a political reason. Yeah, this is the truth. They did that to avoid any possible influence on the presidential election of Richard, re-election of Richard Nixon. He was freaked out by the Apollo 13 catastrophe, which almost cost the lives of three astronauts and didn't want the Apollo 17 launch anywhere near his re-election date. Well, friends, it turns out he won re-election and Apollo 17 went well. So more about that in two days, uh, Wednesday, December 13th. But one last thing that explains why so many people in New Mexico or who had worked in New Mexico in the space industry, why were they looking up? <clears throat> Apollo 17's commander, Gene Cernan, made this comment that really explains the interest of New Mexico. He said as he was stepping out of his, uh, the lunar module, he said, I'm on the footpad. And Houston, as I step off at the surface at Taurus Lotro, I would like to dedicate the first step of Apollo 17 to all of those who made it possible. 
You see, it really started in New Mexico from Robert Goddard's rocket research outside of Roswell to the paperclip scientist who came to southern New Mexico to join with American scientists building the rocket research, you know, from the sounding rockets where they just tried to get it as high off the planet as they could <clears throat> that were launched, uh, then White Sands proving grounds to all the radar tracking and development. It all started here. Michael Swickert here with Enchanting Stories of New Mexico, sponsored by the Fresh Chili Company. Hit subscribe to automatically get these podcasts if you so desire. A little New Mexico history. Every day is somebody's birthday. You know that. The 15th of this month is the 152nd birthday of the 17th Territorial Governor of New Mexico. I know. He's not 152 years old. He's not 151. He died a long time ago. But... But you know his name because there's a town south of Roswell, New Mexico. It is Hagerman. He was Herbert James Hagerman and was governor from 1906 to 1907, about 15 months actually. Governor Herbert Hagerman was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to a very wealthy family. His father put him to work in several low-skilled jobs in his businesses to toughen him up. One of the places he had was a ranch that his father owned near Roswell, near Hagerman now. In fact, the Hagerman town that we know between Roswell and Artesia is around where the ranch that Herbert Hagerman first went to work at as a boy and then returned as an adult. He got a law degree from the Cornell School of Law in 1894, went to Colorado to handle his father's interests in mining, Then he returned to Roswell to, again, look after the father's interest in the ranching industry. In 1898, he traveled to to Russia. He became the secretary to the U.S. Embassy. This is where he really hit his stride. He was there for three years. He was relentless, I tell you, relentless in trying to stamp out the systematic waste and corruption tied to government work, American government work, where the Americans working for the embassy would do their best to cheat on their work and how much money they were owed and all of that. Most of them did not like him at all for his honesty. He returned to New Mexico in his father's ranching interest. It was there in 1906. He was tapped by President Theodore Roosevelt to be the 17th territorial governor of New Mexico. Now, Roosevelt did this and charged him with cleaning up the political graft and corruption, which was rampant in New Mexico. <clears throat> That's what Roosevelt was doing in Washington, was, was cleaning up graft and corruption, and he wanted Hagerman to do that for New Mexico. He was appointed by Theodore Roosevelt January the 10th, 1906. And like I say, he lasted 15 months. When his appointment was announced, and every day, not skipping a day, every day thereafter, the powerful political bosses in New Mexico protested Hagerman's appointment. They already knew that he would not play ball with them, and he was not trying to make money from his appointment. How could you do that? They waged a media campaign of charges after charges after charges against him. They were all false. They blocked almost every one of his proposed reforms 
and the leaders sent a barrage of complaints to President Roosevelt. Now, <clears throat> where it kind of worked is they got former New Mexico Rough Rider military men living in New Mexico to complain to Roosevelt, so much that after a year of charges, Theodore Roosevelt gave in and asked Hagerman to resign. He was deluged with pro-Hagerman letters and telegrams from New Mexico citizens, but the constant drumbeat from the men he served with in the Spanish-American War, <clears throat> that made him want to make the change, and he did so somewhat reluctantly May 3, 1907. But now, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story, here's the rest of the story. The man who took Herbert Hagerman's place, George Curry, was there for three years and continued the reforms that uh, Hagerman had started. Now, Hagerman was featured last week in these podcasts and had enough political savvy and connections with people in the state that the corruption was somewhat and to some degree lessened. So Hagerman started it, but Curry finished it. And, uh, and uh, that was good to have uh, Hagerman there. Michael Swickert here, Enchanting Stories of New Mexico. Hit subscribe if you'd like to get these podcasts automatically. <clears throat> it is always an interesting tale told around campfires or at morning coffee in the rural cafes. Here's what, no matter where you are, there'll be somebody who tells this story or a story like this. Gold, there's gold in the ground, just waiting for someone to discover it. Now, one such tale you'll hear in New Mexico. <clears throat> it's repeated often. It's called the Lost Padre Mine. The story changes, depending on who's telling it, I've heard about 20 variations of this story, but the central facts are the same. All right, so what are the central facts? There's a deep, rich vein of gold, along within that tunnel, stacks and stacks of gold bars, and they're all there in the San Andreas Mountains. That's roughly between Truth or Consequences and Tularosa, as a crow flies if they fly in a straight line. But where? Who knows? Now, it all started in the year 1800 in what was then called Chihuahua, New Mexico. You see, northern Mexico back then was referred to as New Mexico. A priest was attending to a dying soldier who had served in New Mexico in the Mesilla area. The soldier described finding a very rich vein of gold in the mountains to the northeast of Mesilla and gave vivid descriptions of how you could find it. Go to here, go to there, you know. <clears throat> well, the party uh, was led by uh, the priest. He made it to Messiah and then northward to where the dying soldier had indicated the mine. Now, usually during the coffee breaks and stuff, there are bunches and bunches of details thrown in, which I'll skip. Well, they found up in the San Andreas Mountains that spot. They found it. And there was a spring there under a, pre a peak, like the soldier said. When they started prospecting, voila, there was a gold vein. They called their new area Spirit Springs, and they started digging for gold in that rich vein. Ooh, they found it. The priest had gotten lots of monks and others to come with him and now to start to dig down into the tunnel and bring out the chunks and chunks of gold. And they made these into gold ingots. And for two whole years, they stacked the gold that they had found 
into the ingots lining the wall of the tunnel. Two years of work. Occasionally, they would go into the Messiah to buy supplies. Had to do that. And guess what happened? Can you guess? I bet you can. Someone talked while they were in town. See, that's what gold will do for you. It'll, someone always talks, and then the information, of course, well, it spreads. Well, now this information was conveyed to the authorities in Mexico City that there was the, all this gold and a priest, and they were all hoarding the gold right there, and Mexico City wasn't going to see any of it. What they were going to do with it, nobody knew. So the Mexican army rushed. Now, back in the 1800, 1802, rushed is kind of a, wasn't like they got an airplane. wasn't like they got on a train. You know, they could go 15 miles a day, something like that. But they were coming and coming to the mine. Now, the priest found out through sources that the army was coming. And they were going to come to the mine, and they were going to take all that gold. That's what he found out. Well, so he hurried to the mine, and over a couple of weeks, the group worked hard, days on end, to seal the tunnel and to leave no trace, to take branches and erase all of the footprints. Then they all scattered. Gone they were. They were gone. <clears throat> Later, the priest was caught, and though tortured, did not tell the soldiers how to find the mine. This is always part of the tale, because there's gold, it's been lost, nobody can find it. You could find it, maybe. Well, he didn't uh, tell anybody, and nobody else did. And friends, all that gold is there, in the tunnel, stacked neatly. Oh, but the government now has that land. Huh? So much for the lost Padre mine. Now the radio stations in my little slice of paradise are playing Christmas tunes, and it's time to consider Christmas chili at the at the Fresh Chili Company. Now of all the Christmas chili, my favorite is Big Jim Red and Green, which is made with Big Jim chili. Again, it's my favorite by far. I put it on several things I cook. So far, I haven't put it on Jello. But I've thought about it. And so the uh, gift shop is open Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. You can always go there. It's on El Paseo. And uh, you can pick this stuff up. This is Michael Swickard with Enchanting Stories of New Mexico, brought to you by the Fresh Chili Company. Thank you for your time today. We'll always have lots of news and stories about New Mexico on these podcasts. If you have something or someone you'd like me to talk about, Write to me, Michael at Fresh Chilico. That's Michael at Fresh Chilico. And remember, two days from now, Wednesday, I'm going to talk about Apollo a 17 for the whole uh, podcast. Have a great rest of your day. Oh, yes, and eat plenty of that wonderful Hatch Valley chili. Like I always say, some chili's good, more's better as long as it's Hatch Valley chili. Bye for now. <laughs>